Let me lead us in prayer. Gracious, loving Father, what a blessing it is to know that you are alive and you're controlling the world. And right now you're speaking to us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to listen, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that Australia is famous for is our classless society. We sit in the front of taxis. That's us. We call everyone mate, whether they're a professor or whether they're an apprentice. And until recently, I don't I think this was planned, but Australia's Parliament House in Canberra was designed so that any Joe Blow could walk on the top of Parliament House, just in the grass. Now, since then, security's got a bit dicey, so they've stopped us doing that, but at least that was the plan. And it kind of matched in, I thought, with who we are as a society. Uh, a little while ago, when I was interviewing um, some fairly highfalutin archbishops for a, for a recent online event... I was reminded by an Aussie colleague of mine, uh, Jody. Uh, make sure you address them as Archbishop Foley and Archbishop Ben. Don't just sort of say, "Hey, Ben, how you doing, mate?" Because um, uh, that kind of uh, egalitarian class of society doesn't necessarily rub off so well to other parts of the world. Now, the idea that we are a classless society isn't totally true. There are still some different unofficial levels in our culture, and we do see it around us. We've got, some people would say, a welfare class, um, a middle class, maybe an upper middle class. I don't think we've got an upper class in Australia. But, you know, it sometimes is a bit there. People will get job promotions because they've got the right school tie. You know, there are different things around there. Maybe that's connections, not class. I don't know. But largely, Aussies are classless. But you compare that to some other countries and other cultures, and I think probably the one that jumps out the most as being different to us is India, uh, where their caste system locks people into a social and economic level. So if you're at the top of the heap, you're sweet. If you're at the bottom of the heap, don't even dream of climbing that ladder. Well, how do classes fit into the Bible? Is the Bible sort of more like the classless, egalitarian society of Australia, where we're all the same pretty much, mate? Or is it a little bit more like the hierarchical caste system of India? Or is it maybe somewhere in between, like the upstairs and downstairs of Britain? Who knows? Well, you will know soon because we're going to answer that question because as we've been exploring the letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, we've seen quite a lot of talk about two ethnic groups in particular. There's the Jewish group and then there's the Gentile group. It keeps popping up all the time. We Jews, you Gentiles and so forth. And a lot of ink has been spilt talking about the differences. And you'd be tempted... 2,000 years after this dispute to just sort of shrug our shoulders and say, can we just move on? I mean, it's not a big thing anymore. But the history of the way that these two different ethnic groups have worked together is actually very, very important for us as Christians in the 21st century. The Jew and Gentile relationship is important. It is important. And it's important because it'll help us understand the amazing way that God's plan was carried out from his promise in Abraham through to its extraordinary fulfillment in Jesus. All of that is tied up in the answer to this question. 
But I think it also has a big impact for the way that we see ourselves as a community, uh, in particular in our church here, as, as our newbies find a home alongside the longer-term members of our church. And more than that, it gives us a way of thinking about, why, about what it is that our community and church is really like. And how it is that we can be a place that is truly Christ-centred and Christ-honouring in our community. So there's a lot of things that we can see through these couple of verses here. And with all of that in mind, before I go any further, let me say that God is doing some amazing things right here in our church at the moment. It's very exciting. We are growing and growing and growing. And it literally brings tears to our eyes when we see how it is that God is transforming people. People are becoming Christians. There are people amongst us on a weekend who a few months ago did not follow Jesus, but now do. And it's a beautiful thing. And today's message from God to us right now by his Holy Spirit is something that we need to hear right now because it's relevant to all of that and a whole lot more. Just four verses today. Let me read them out to us. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. That's it. Just four verses tonight. Shouldn't take long. Well, there's a bit there to dig in, so stick with me. I, I trust that you will be blessed as I have been as I've looked through this passage. It starts off with Paul reminding us of the us-them issue right here, right off the bat. So 19 bit at the start, A. Eh? So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Uh, let's have a look at this. Let's start really deep in our text and just look at the first word. <laughs> so... So, there's a connection. So, if you see something like a therefore or a so as you're reading the Bible, it's not just there because they got bored. There's a connection with what's just come. And so we've just had these two verses from 17 and 18. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. Remember this from last week? And peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us together can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit, because of what Christ has done for us. The good news, which is the gospel, the, the ticket to salvation, it is a message of peace, and it's brought the faraway Gentiles right into the heart of the action, alongside with the Jews who believe in Jesus. And so now, Jew and Gentile come together to the Father. Together, This is amazing stuff. And it all happened through the Holy Spirit. And the result? Well, it was all the result because of what Jesus did by dying on the cross and rising to victory. Peace. Jew, Gentile, together. And that's what brings us to the so. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Paul, the Jew, says to the Gentiles... The you and me, 
We are no longer strangers and foreigners. They're no longer on the outer. There's no more us and them. There's no in crowd and out crowd. There are no strangers and foreigners in God's family. It can be pretty daunting when you join up to a brand new committee or community organisation or club. Uh, This happened to me firsthand back in 2018 when I joined the Jamboree Rural Fire Brigade. Uh, The first time I walked into the station, I was pretty overwhelmed. There were these huge, big fire trucks with lots of buttons and hoses and switches and knobs. And and we had, there were special uniforms there that I I didn't have at that stage. I hadn't got mine yet. And everyone knew what they were and they were wearing them and stuff like that. And there were these special words like HRs and Cat 1s and overruns. And you had to learn the difference between proceeding and responding and all that sort of stuff. And... Then there were the walls of photos of all these brigade members throughout the years and then the honour boards of the captains and the, and the life members throughout the 80 years of the brigade. And there was I. I was on the outer and a bit clueless. I mean, the only time I picked up a hose was to water the plants. I felt a bit like a stranger, a bit like a foreigner to this new community. But I was warmly welcomed, and after a few months at the members' meeting, I was officially changed in status from being a probational member to a full member. It was never a prouder day in my life. Or maybe there were. Uh, But from that point onwards, I was a valued member of the brigade. And even though I'd only been there a few months, I started to feel less on the outer and more on the inner, which is kind of cool. Now, some of you in this building have only been in our church for a month or two. And I wonder whether or not you have felt at times, now or in the past, all of us really, to be a stranger or a foreigner. Maybe you don't know exactly what works and how how everything in our church works just yet. And you might be trying to work out what a warden is and how the Lord's Supper works and what the deal is with rosters and all that. But the good thing for you to know is that half the people in our church, in fact, probably three quarters of the people in our church weren't even here two years ago. There are newbies everywhere. And in fact, at the beginning of 2015, when I started here, there were only about 20 or so coming on a weekend. But last weekend, we had uh, 88 people coming across our two services, which is pretty exciting. The wonderful news is that God has given our original members a powerful sense of grace and love that supports the direction in which our church is all going together. We've got a mix of the originals and the newbies. And together we're heading in the same direction, praise God. And so if you feel like a stranger or a foreigner or even some sort of second-class Christian, realise that we're all in this together. We're all part of Jambrew Anglican. And together we're seeking to share the good news of peace with everyone in our village and valley and beyond. Anyway, as we turn to our Bible verses again... We'll see that this powerful image of unity between Jew and Gentile now is, I think, even stronger. Because as we go back and look at the second half of 19, we're going to see that it's not just the negative of no longer strangers and foreigners. It actually switches to the positive. It says, you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. These blow-in Gentiles are actually citizens with all of God's people. They're not on a temporary visa. They're not permanent residents. They're actually full citizens 
with a passport to the kingdom of Christ. The Gentiles have citizenship in God's kingdom. If anyone ever says to you, I grew here, but you flew here, you pull out your passport and you say, I'm equal in every single way. And then there's another positive, verse 19. You are members of God's family. The analogy goes from citizenship to family. These Gentiles, these blow-ins, these newbies are now fully members of Christ's family. They're not just friends or associates. They're adopted as full members in God's family, God's household. The Apostle Paul is layering on these analogies one by one by one to create this powerful image of full inclusion. The Gentiles are not foreigners. They are citizens. They are family members. And you want to know the coolest thing? The Gentiles are us. We are the Gentiles. I'm not Jewish. And as far as I can tell, none of you are either. And that means we are very, very different to what Jesus was like. He did the whole Jewish thing, big time. That was him. He looked like a Jew. He sounded like a Jew. He did the Jewish festivals. He was fully in the Jewish club. Totally different to us Gentiles. And that's why we can sometimes think that we might just be second-class citizens. But we are in the same club as the Jews in every single way. And this next verse now shows us how things get even more interesting. Because it's not just that we've been merged into an existing organisation. It's actually been built new from the ground up. Verse 20a. Together we are his house. Jews and Gentiles together are part of something all new. We are all part of something brand new. Now, I'm going to give you an analogy that's not perfect, but I'll give it a crack. I think it's a little bit like what happened with the Super League War of the 1990s. Originally, there was the ARL, the Australian Rugby League. It was the main competition for Rugby League. But then Rupert Murdoch decided that he wanted to get a piece of the action, and so he invented a competing competition called Super League. If you were around at the time, you'll remember all of this. And so for 1997, there were two different national leagues of rugby league. There they were running at the same time, and there were checkbooks flying everywhere. But league started to self-destruct, and you might argue it's never really recovered. But as it destructed, there was a truce. And out of this war became a new peace. And so instead of using the name ARL or Super League, there was a whole new organisational name. And that was the NRL, the National Rugby League. And so whether you were from the original historical ARL or the flashy new starters of the Super League... Every member and employee and even spectator came across to an all-new competition called the NRL. Now, it's not a perfect analogy. You can tell me over dinner about the things that I didn't get. But the point is that 
the Jews and the Gentiles didn't really get on that well either. And you could sort of say that the Jews were a little bit like the ARL. They'd been around a long time. And then the Gentiles were these recent blow-ins who had a fair bit of firepower behind them. But at the end of the day, there was something new that was created. All new. They got rid of the ARL, the, the NRL, ARL name. They got rid of the Super League and they started the NRL. So what that means that if you are a brand new Christian in Jamboree Anglican in 2020, you have got the same member rights as a full-blown Jewish priest who used to serve at the temple in Jerusalem. Quite staggering, really, isn't it? You're all part of the same new club, and you're all equal. But this new building, this Church of Jesus that's being talked about here, it's actually, it's a, it's a heritage building. The English word heritage is related to another word, inheritance. Heritage, inheritance. The Church of Christ has inherited something from the past, which then forms the foundation for the future. What is that? Well, 20B. It is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This all-new building of Jesus' people stands on a strong heritage foundation. And that foundation is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It's built on the heritage of the apostles and the prophets. Now, these are the special leaders who are around at the time of the New Testament who preached the word of God. And what they preached was that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Holy One of God. He is the fulfillment. He's the box ticker of all the stuff that was promised in the Old Testament. Every promise made to God's people in the Old Testament came true in Jesus. And that is the foundation upon which the all-new household of God was made. They inherited the promises, and this is the foundation that we today, as God's people, are now built up in together. But what else do we learn? Well, this new building, the people of God, has a very clear plan, 20C. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. You know, when they made buildings in ancient times, the first big stone they put down was called the cornerstone. They very carefully positioned this stone and made sure it was dead straight because the whole rest of the building was lined up with this stone. So you got it right, and then in the corner you could say, well, well, let's get all the other stones that way, and then all the other stones that way, and then, then all the other stones that way. And with this cornerstone, get that right, and the whole building would fit in and be lined up. Jesus is that cornerstone. He is the one who sets the shape of the whole building. And every one of us, each stone that is placed within that building, we are lined up with Jesus. Uh, If you're part of a healthy organisation, you'll know that it's got pretty clear mission, values and vision and all that stuff. And if it does, then when a new person joins that organisation, they say, well, what do you stand for? What makes you tick? What bugs you if it's not done right? All that stuff. You you get that that kind of um, idea of who you are and that will set the shape for the whole organisation as it grows. So it is with Jesus as well in the church. 
He is the one who has set the vision. He has set the scene. Everything that is built into this building, which is the church, fits around him as the cornerstone. And so as you were placed in, and I was placed in, even though we might have a couple of rough edges, we were placed in, made part of this one big building, which is the church. And this is what the project looks like, verse 21. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We, as part of this building, are being built in Christ. You're a brick. I'm a brick. And we're all part of this great temple of the Lord. And I mentioned this last week. But the moment that Jesus died, the physical stone temple in Jerusalem became redundant. No longer was it the house of God. No longer was it the place where God dwelt amongst his people. No longer was it going to be the place where God's people would, you know, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. You know, it's kind of, that was the pinnacle before then. But that is because at the very moment that Jesus died, his body became the temple of God. Jesus' body has become the temple. Get your head around this. There's this massive, great, awesome stone building. And when Jesus dies, it's like, that's eh, redundant. Really? Did anyone see that coming? Well, the second chapter of John's Gospel, right at the start, Jesus said, just talking to the temple, you're talking about the temple, he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they said, what? It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he actually meant his own body. See, Jesus came to fulfill the temple. His body has become the temple. So what does that mean? Where do we go to meet with God? Well, we go to meet with God in Christ. And so... Even if the physical temple in Jerusalem had not been destroyed by the Romans back in 70 AD, and then the whole Temple Mount occupied by the Muslims, even if that hadn't happened, even if it was still sitting there like one of these wonderful big stone cathedrals in Europe, it would still be redundant. It's a bit like when you go on your school excursions to Canberra to see Parliament House. You can turn up and you can see the Parliament House that's there, that's the white one with the famous steps at the front where Gough Whitlam stood in the front and said, you know, well, may they say God save the Queen, but who will save the Governor-General and all that history that's there. And you go, wow, that's the Parliament House. And then someone says, well, it's an impressive building. It's got heaps of history and we value it enormously. But actually, you need to look up a little bit higher because at the top is the real Parliament House. That's where laws are made. That's where the seat of power is. You see, if we turn up to Jerusalem and say, oh, we want to go where God is, where the power is, and you turn up to the, uh, turn up to the physical temple, it's like, well, it's got some nice memories. But really, it's just a whole block of stone. A whole lot of blocks of stone. Because the new place that you meet God is not a building made of stone. 
It's Jesus Christ. And when you get this key little thing, so much of the New Testament makes sense. But more than that, this is even super cool. If Jesus is the temple and we are in Christ, then that means that we are the temple. How about that? How do you think about yourself? How do you, what do you identify yourself as? Thought about yourself as being the temple of God? Because if you believe in Jesus, you are the temple. Believe in Jesus, you are the temple. I'm the temple, you're the temple. And all Christians in all times throughout history are the temple. And we are the temple, which is the church, which is in heaven. As we saw earlier on in verse 6 of this chapter. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him where? In the heavenly realms. Because, why? We are united with Christ. You're with Jesus. It's kind of like you're super glued with him. You're strapped onto him and he goes to heaven and you're with him as I am. And because he's the temple and united with him, you are the temple and I am the temple. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked up in our church before, but you can see there are eight different shields that are up there on the screen, up on the roof. And it goes, this is none other than the house of God. You may not have noticed that. You might have been here for a long time. But this is a statement that is made. And it's it's a quote from Genesis chapter 28, which is when Jacob had a dream when he fell asleep on a special stone, which he then had a vision of heaven and the stairway to heaven and all of that. And he was in the presence of God in his dream. And so his response was, he says, what an awesome place this is. Genesis 28, 17. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. That's a great little verse. And churches all around the world have got into the habit of writing it somewhere on the church building. I used to go to a church where they got the little white letters and stuck it across the top of the door as you walked into the church. This is none other than the house of God. Now, we're heaps better than that here in Jamboree. Look at those fancy things up there. They're beautiful. How good are they? We, we don't muck around here. We, we, we've gone top shelf. This is serious stuff. That's the sign up there. And I kind of like it, but it actually has a little bit of a negative side to it. I'm not saying we should paint them different colour and say, G'day, how are you going? Welcome to church or something like that. Or, you know, no, but I, let's leave it up there. There's a nice little bit of history to it. But the possible problem is that if you write that sort of stuff on a church building, you might get, the, you might get confused to think that you're walking into some holy place, like it's actually the temple of God. I reckon that actually that's why it can be a bit unhelpful to have it written and most of you haven't read it before, so I'm not going to take it down or ask a warden to do so. Uh, but because it, it's a nice little artifact and it, it's a good thing to talk about if someone says, what does that mean? Ah, let me tell you. Because the best place to write, this is none other than the house of God, is, is probably on a badge and say, you know, I am no other, I am none other than the house of God. People might think, oh, you've got tickets on yourself. But now we are none other than the house of God. At the end of the day, this beautiful building that we love is just a rain shelter. 
And I've got to say, since we fixed the tiles, it did real well in the rain. A little tiny drip here, but basically nothing. It goes real well. We've get, we get some pretty serious wind here. Same roof, still there, hasn't fallen off. How good is this? It's a good building. But we actually could have our church service in the hall or in the hall at the school or down at the School of Arts or even in the pub at Jamboree if we wanted to. This building is, in a sense, just another building because the only really important building is you and me in Christ, the new temple in heaven. Now, that's not to say that we don't love this building. We do. And it means a lot to us. Mandy and I were married in a church in Sydney that since we had our marriage service there a few years ago, it has been renovated and extended and it's been turned around inside by about 90 degrees. And when you walk in there, you, you kind of say, oh, yeah, this is my old church, sort of. I can't do what people like Dulcie can do and, and walk down this aisle and say, this is exactly where I was and I got married all those years ago and it looks almost the same, except for maybe a big TV on the side. <laughs> but, you see, we there's a little bit of sentimentality about the church building. And let me say, thumbs up to that. That's okay. It's, it's, it, God is a God who creates and has aesthetics, and we can delight in those and have even a bit of sentimentality about a building. And I think it's totally fine. But I'm actually really pleased that our old church has done those renos because they can fit more people in there, and it's a better building than it was before. And when Manny and I get over it, that's okay. Likewise, if this building burnt to the ground, we would be really sad, and rightly so. Slightly less sad if the hall burnt down, but that's okay. Uh, but we, we, would, we would be sad because there's something about this building that means a lot to us. But ultimately, it's just a building. And the building that matters the most, however, is not this building, because this is not the house of God. You're God's house. I'm God's house. And that is because we are part of Jesus. But there's more to this building as we turn to the final verse today, verse 22. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We are together being made part of this dwelling. Or, or more literally, there's a key word that, that uh, our translation's not used, um, which is fine. The NIV 11's used this word. See if you can notice the key word's different. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It says almost the same thing. But it does have this word built, which is a key word that you will see time and time again through the book of Ephesians. And I'll let you see if it uh, doesn't jump out at us. In Ephesians, we will see that the body of Christ is built. You've got a whole lot more about that in chapter 4. It's coming up in a short while. But the point is that the building, the temple, is not finished yet. It's a building that is being built. And we are part of that building project. Pretty cool, hey? You're part of the building project if you're trusted in Jesus. I'm part of that building project. And what do we know about building? Well, we know that builders do extensions and renovations. And probably some other things as well. But two key things. So I've got to explain this analogy to you because it'll be really helpful as we get into this bit and also later on in Ephesians. But... 
let's say you live in a one-storey, three-bedroom home and it's getting a bit squashy. And so you call in the builder and say, hey, get down here, I want to talk to you about getting stuff done to my place. And they say, oh, she'll be right. We'll, we'll whack on another root, another floor and we'll move some rooms from downstairs, upstairs and you can have extra space and she'll be right. And so what you've done is you've got that builder to make the building bigger. So the building has done bigger stuff, right? And then there might be another house that has a kitchen and one little room and in one little room and then you've got a dining room and another little room and then you've got the family room and another little room and then someone says, you know, I'd really reckon this, would be place, this place would be great if we could knock down some of these walls and maybe have one of those really fancy kitchens that sort of goes right down the side and, and all these different things and we can knock it all down and, and they bring the builder and the builder says, no worries, I'll get out my sledgehammer, she'll be right, and show me your check. Away you go. And maybe council approval if you need it. Um, but you, you do all of that, and what happens? Is the place any bigger? No. It's not bigger. Is it any better? I sure hope so for the amount of money you'll, you'll drop on that. You, you know that the builder comes in and improves the house. So there's, there's one kind of building that makes it bigger, biggering it. There's probably, probably a real word for that. And then there's another kind that makes it better. There's another word you can get. Uh, bigger and better. Two different things. Builders can do either type. What does that mean for us as God's building? Well, as God's spirit does his stuff, the church is built. Sometimes it's bigger because new people become Christians and so the place gets a bit bigger. And other times as the word goes out, The existing sized building improves because we hear the word of God and we are convicted of our sin and we become more like Jesus. Both kinds of buildings happen and both kinds of buildings happen on the body of Christ. See, as God's word is spoken, believers get stronger and unbelievers get converted. And that is how the building project works with Jesus' building. And ultimately... Like the Old Testament temple before, the Spirit of God lives in the new temple. You know, in the, in, you could see it in the Old Testament that the Spirit of God would come down like a cloud and would be present in that building. And he would do that with the tabernacle, which was the portable temple sort of thing. Down. Now the Spirit of God lives in us. We are his temple. And that's what we see right here at the end of that last line there. So what's all this got to do with sitting in the front seat of a taxi? Well, the point is that the church of God is the ultimate classless society. We're all equals in God's sight. Sure, we'll have different roles and we'll see a whole lot more about that, about the need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in chapters 5 and 6. But the point is that Though that is totally true, at the same time, we are all equal members in this amazing new temple of God. We are all valuable in this structure that God is building in Christ. And whether you, as a Christian, grew here or flew here, (laughs) whether you're a local or a blow-in, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you have believed the good news and have chosen Jesus to be your loving ruler. Because now you are none other than the house of God. Let me pray.
Loving Father, we love to see the building project that is happening as the body of Christ is growing. And we thank you that whether we are new or old, whether we are Jew or Gentile, that we are part of this new building, this new structure. And we thank you for going to that trouble to include us, to love us. And that all these benefits that come to us from being in Christ are benefits that come because of your love for us. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that we as a church would respect each other and love each other, whether we've been here for, for 50 years or, or 50 days. Help us, Father, to be a people who loves each other as you by your Spirit are leading us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.